Recently, as I was uh, watching a news report on television, there was a coverage of a bomb threat at a local high school. As the reporter was giving an update on what was currently going on, I could see in the background the bomb squad walking back and forth and doing whatever it is that they need to do in those times. And I noticed on one of the shirts of one of these gentlemen the following. It said, I am a bomb technician. If you see me running, try to keep up. <laughs> you know, and I thought, wow, that's some sound advice, huh? And uh, speaking of sound advice and famous last words, we're in the midst of a series of messages uh, that focus our attention on the famous last words of the Apostle Paul uh, to Timothy, a young man who he had the privilege of leading to faith in Christ, and now he would now carry on the work that would be entrusted to him and to all of God's people. Apparently at this time in his life, however, he was facing a time of spiritual vacillation. No, in weakness. He may have been questioning his calling. He may have been questioning his, his specific giftedness as we see in the admonitions of Paul to encourage him in those areas. He may even been questioning, as many of us do at certain times in our life, you know, the sufficiency of God and the sovereignty of God, the calling of God, the, the ability of God to do the things that the Bible claims that he indeed can do. Whatever he struggled with, whatever the cause of all of this spiritual slump in his life, whatever the particulars, Paul realized that Timothy needed to be pumped up. He needed to be re-encouraged or encouraged in his faith. In fact, he told him to kindle afresh the gift that is within you. Kind of get fired up, stoke the embers, get excited again about the calling of God and the giftedness of God in his particular life and the works that God had ordained for him to do before the foundation of the world. And you know, we all need that at times in our life. We need to kind of have a spiritual wake-up call, a kind where somebody would come alongside us and get us excited again and encourage us that, you know what, don't lose hope, don't lose sight of the big picture, don't lose sight of what God wants to do through each one of our lives and the, and the purpose of Him calling us out of darkness, so to speak, into light so that we can proclaim the excellencies of Him who has done so. You know, if you've ever been in a spiritual drought, you know exactly where Timothy finds himself at this moment in time. It's like, you know, where do I go from here. I was so excited about my walk with the Lord in the past. I was excited about Bible study. I was excited about church. I was excited about reaching out to other people. I was excited about all those things. And you know what? Right now, things are kind of flat. You know, I just, I, you know, I just, I just don't, I just don't have it like I used to. We need to be pumped up. We need to be encouraged. We need to have people come alongside us and tell us that, you know what? Hey, get refocused again. Get excited again. Because, you know, there is a big picture. Don't lose sight ever of that. You know, and, and so far, Paul has imparted to Timothy uh, the following deathbed wisdom. In our first message, the first chapter, he told him the four virtues that would be needed of all God's people to finish strong, how we needed to walk humbly with God, how we needed to be loyal and, and, and dependable and accountable not only to God but to one another in this journey that we're on, all on together. Secondly, you know, he, he commanded him to not be ashamed of the gospel. He said, don't be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. As even Paul himself wrote to the church in Rome, to the Romans, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, there's no other power given to man by which we can share that will change the hearts of men other than the power of the gospel itself, the very dunamis or dynamite of God that can explode a heart that is cold toward God, a heart that has no interest in God, a heart that isn't seeking even after God, but as we pray that God would soften that person's heart, the very gospel of God can blow up that heart, and many of us are living testimonies of that truth. When a time in my life where I had no need of God, no interest in God, yet there were people around me who God surrounded me with who continued to impress upon me my own sinfulness and my need of forgiveness and a Savior, my need to turn to Jesus Christ and His death upon the cross and the power of His resurrection, to be born again from above and not by my own efforts or by my own work. You know, as God surrounded me with people who shared that message with me, God slowly softened my heart to where the Spirit of God then convicted me that time in my life of my sin and my need for forgiveness and turning to Christ. The Bible says at that point, any of us who recognize our sinfulness and turn from sin and repent and turn to God, he says we're born again by the power of God, the dynamite of God, the very word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's no one who will be in the kingdom of God who has not been confronted with the truth of the word of God and the power of God through his spirit to cause one to be born again from above by the will of God, not the will of man or our own desires, but that of God himself. So today in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to verse 1 where Paul warns Timothy in this particular case of the danger that is found in this lifetime, the danger of distractions. How easy it is to be distracted from the things that are truly important in life and be taken down a side road or side path that has no eternal value whatsoever. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, we start with these words. We find Paul saying to Timothy, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. These entrust to faithful men who also will be able to teach others. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And also if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment, as a criminal. But the word of God is not in prison. For this reason I endure all things, for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory." All of us at one time or another have become distracted or lost focus. You know, we've forgotten what we're doing, as they say, they call them those, we've had one of those senior moments. I like the story that I heard about two older women. They were talking upstairs, and they were in the second floor of their home, and they were discussing the reality of, the, you know, their, their deteriorating, you know, their deteriorating uh, mind condition where they continue to forget things, their forgetfulness. And as they began to walk down the stairs, the, the, you know, the, the one, one said to the other, as they forgot why they were going down the steps, they started to laugh. And the one said to the other, well, hey, at least we have our health, knock on wood. And the other gal said, oh, someone's at the door, I'll get it. 
you know, it's kind of like that, you know, where we've ever been in that situation where it's like, well, you know, why did I come in this room? What am I supposed to be doing? It's so easy to be distracted. In fact, the other day, as I've been preparing throughout the week for this particular message on Friday afternoon, I was to meet a friend who was taking a couple of clients golfing, and we we're going to go golfing. And I was running late, and I was running out the door, and I looked up, and I went, oh, man, I, I'm going to be late. And I said, I need, I need to get a bottle of water. I ran around, grabbed a bottle of water. And as I went around to get a bottle of water, I tripped over my golf clubs. And it was a good thing I tripped over them because I, I was out the door, man. I was out the door to go golfing with no golf clubs. You know, and I know some of you are saying, how can you, how can you do that? How many of you, be honest now, how many of you have ever gone to a Bible study or church and left your Bible at home? Huh? What, what, what are you thinking? It's like, wait, we're going to Bible study. You know, you get there and go, did you bring a Bible? Well, I mean, what was the purpose of coming, you know? And, and, and the point is it's easy to get distracted. And, and sometimes it can be funny in those cases. And other times, you know, you ever see the commercial that's on uh, with uh, Ken Griffey Jr.? He's, playing, he's out the, in the batter's box. I don't know if it's a Pepsi commercial. And he's standing in the batter's box and he's waiting there for the pitch. And, and, and anybody knows anything about baseball. When a guy's really good at hitting a baseball, the baseball doesn't look like a baseball. It looks like a beach ball. I mean, it's amazing to me, you know, being around guys who can hit a 95-mile-an-hour baseball, and they go, oh, I can see the seams, and I can see the rotation. I can tell whether it's a curveball or fastball or split finger. Or, you know, you look for the seams and the rotation. I'm thinking, what? I mean, well, you know, it's just, all I see is this, toom, toom. I just see, toom, boom, toom, boom. And it's like, well, you what? You see the seams and the rotation. Well, the commercial kind of expands upon that to where the baseball's not like, it's like a big beach ball coming up. And Ken Griffey Jr., he's there, he's like, you know, he's thinking about, he's thinking about things he's going to do this afternoon and places he needs to go. And out of the corner of his eye, he sees Sammy Sosa sitting on the, on the bench in the dugout, sneaking a hand to grab his Diet Pepsi. And so as the ball comes in, all of a sudden he goes to real time again, it goes real fast, and he just goes like this, and he hits the ball right towards Sammy Sosa, and he just, and he just goes like this. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we can get so distracted in our life, and it's funny at times, and other times it's very serious. Some of you know that we're in the construction industry, and we can share stories of things that we have heard or happened because people have gotten distracted. A specific incident took place where a project manager was out on a two-story commercial building. He was up, and he was looking at uh, the insulation up in the ceiling. As he was walking, he walked off a landing and fell on his head in the first floor and, uh, you know, was seriously injured through that. In the air conditioning business, we've had people that have been up on roofs. In fact, there was a hotel being built in Irvine where it was a windy day, and as the crane was lifting the units on the roof, one of the guys reached out to grab it, forgetting, and just kind of instinctual grabbing it, missed it, and fell eight stories to his death. You know, and, and, and when those things happen, they reinforce the fact that we need to be alert. We tell our employees all the time, you know, be alert, think about it, tie yourself off. All the things that need to be done from a safety standpoint. Why? Because it's so easy in life to get distracted. See, and in this passage, Paul warns Timothy and all believers of the spiritual danger of distractions and the importance of staying focused on what is truly important. And as we examine this passage, we'll see that it divides, for clarity purpose, into three categories for our understanding. The first thing that we'll see is there's an exhortation that he gives in verse 1. An exhortation that he gives to Timothy and to all believers in verse 1. And that is this. He says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Again, as we, once again, the passage uh, that we're studying begins with the word, Therefore. And therefore ties what Paul had just said to what he's about to tell him. And if you've 
been with us throughout, you recognize as you go back to the previous message, and that is this. He ties in, therefore, to what he's about to say, and basically what he's saying this. In light of the admonition that I've just given you to not be ashamed of the gospel, here's what you need in order to fulfill that commission. He tells him very clearly, and all of us, don't be ashamed of the gospel. And now he will tell us how we can go about fulfilling that commitment to be bold in our faith. He'll tell us now everything that we need, and all that we need, he says very clearly, is this, is to be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How can you and I be more bold in our faith? How can you and I be more bold in our testimony? in our place of business, in our family, in our neighborhoods, communities, with our friends? How can you and I be bold and fulfill that admonition to not be ashamed? Very easily, by being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the, and, and the phrase, be strong, is an imperative. It's a command, it's not an option. He's saying, don't be ashamed of the gospel, that's a command. And in order to not be ashamed of the gospel, then be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. Here we see a beautiful example of what it means to speak the truth in love. You know, Paul, as he encourages Timothy, he tells him to be strong, my beloved son. I am sure at this point in time, what Timothy wanted to hear was Paul say, hey, you know what? Don't worry about it. You're ashamed of the gospel, don't worry about it. You back down when you have an opportunity to share with your friends or with others around you. You know what? Don't worry about it. You know why? Because, man, you know what? It's a huge price to pay. Persecution is so great. Opposition is so fierce. All the reasons that we back down. Sometimes we want somebody to come along and tell us, that's okay. And we should never do that. We should speak the truth of the, lo- speak the, truth of the word of God in love. No, it's not okay to back down. No, it's not okay to take, you know, not to take advantage of those opportunities. No, it's not okay to be disobedient to the leading of the Spirit of God in your life. No, that's not okay. And I'm sure that's what he wanted to hear because when we fail, that's what we all want to hear. But that's not what he said, is it? Why? Because you know what? It's only the truth that can set us free. It's only the truth of the gospel that can set us free from the condemnation and the wrath of God, the judgment that's to come that will continue what he had already said had taken place. And it's only the truth of the word of God that can set us free from the schemes or the strategy of the devil who basically say, who says, I don't want you telling anybody the gospel. I don't want you to share with anyone the truth of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. I don't want anybody to know that because I want all mankind to go to hell. That's what he wants. And so when he whispers in our ear, they're going to think you're nuts. They're going to make fun of you. You may lose something. Paul said, you know what? I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what the word of God commands me to tell you. And that is that you need to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He doesn't compromise the truth. And it always breaks my heart when I hear God's people compromise truth to those who are in bondage. Because it's only truth that sets us free. Now, there's different ways to do it, but God is very clear that we need to speak that truth in love. Timothy, my beloved son, I want to encourage you. I want to tell you the truth. 
I'm going to tell you to be strong in the grace, definite article, the specific grace, which is in Christ Jesus. Notice, in order not to get distracted, sidetracked, or lose focus, we are continually to rely upon the grace that is in Christ. We're not to trust in our own strength, our own abilities, our own efforts, our own knowledge of Scripture. You know, oftentimes people say, well, what are you going to say to that person? And there are many times, I don't have a clue. All I know is God's leading me to be there. When I get there, I trust that the, the, you know, the, the knowledge that I have from spending time in the Word of God, the obedience that I've demonstrated hopefully in my life of faithfulness, my understanding the Spirit of God lives within me, I will listen to what they have to say and trust that God will give me His words through His Spirit as I've learned, studied, meditated, memorized, and I have that to draw upon. And you know what? It's a beautiful place to be in your relationship with Lord, with the Lord where you don't have to go in with a canned speech. You just go, you know what? I don't know. I really don't know till I get there what God is going to say or wants to say. And it's not, it's not that at all. It's because we have the Word of God to draw upon and the Spirit of God who resides in us if we've truly come to faith in Christ. He says to be strong, and it emphasizes it's passive, indicating the source of Timothy's strength is not himself, but in the grace which is in Christ. Probably a better, a better phrasing of this would be by means of the grace that is in Christ. He's saying, you therefore, my son, be strong in, by means of the grace which is in Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible is very clear to teach us that it's by grace we've been saved through faith. That it's God's grace that saves and not our works. It is not our efforts. It's not our abilities. It's not our goodness by any means because none of us are good. All fall short of the glory of God. None are righteous. And all of our works are as filthy rags to God. So it's not by anything in us at all. It's by God's grace we're saved through faith and also by the same saving grace God sustains us in our walk with Him. It's God's grace that continues to save us. Though we're saved at a moment of time, it's God's grace that continually saves us. It's God's grace that continues to sustain us. It's God's grace, as Paul says, if you've got your Bibles, turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, a beautiful, or chapter 12, a beautiful example of what he's talking about here because it's God's faithfulness, it's God's righteousness, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful continually to forgive us, faithfully continually to cleanse us. And in 2 Corinthians 12, here's a perfect example of what Paul has learned about the grace of God, where he said this, and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Now think about it. God gave Paul a glimpse of heaven to motivate him to continue to fight the good fight. Isn't that beautiful? God gave Paul a glimpse of heaven to motivate him to continue to fight the good fight, to continue to finish the course, to continue to keep the faith, to continue to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He knows his toil is not in vain. He sees his final destination. He got a glimpse of that. And yet at the same time, because of that, God also protected Paul from the pride and arrogance which would come for a person who has seen the very presence of God and the very place that we all look forward to as God's people of residing. <clears throat> and that's why he said, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. There's God's purpose. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it may depart from me. 
you know, God allowed this to take place in his life so that he wouldn't become prideful and arrogant and boastful, so he wouldn't get all puffed up so he could walk humbly with his God. And yet at the same time, whatever the affliction was, Paul wasn't too excited about having it in his life. And so there we go with the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and the balance that's there. So Paul goes to God, hey, listen, you know, if you could do me a favor, I'd like you to remove this from my life. You know, I could just imagine him saying, I promise I'll stay humble. You know, you know, okay, let's, let's cut a deal. Let's negotiate. I promise if you take this from me, I'll stay humble. I'll walk humbly with you. Now, God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. The power of Christ, the grace that is in Christ Jesus, the strength that is in God himself is what he wrote to the Philippians when he said, I can do all things through my abilities? No. My efforts? No. My education? No. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our sufficiency is in Christ and his grace which is more than able to sustain us because it's the same grace that's able to save us. And so when we look at this, it's God's continuing grace in the lives of believers. It operates in justification, operates in sanctification, it operates in forgiveness and in holiness, and His grace is applied to our very service of Him. You know, we all need to exhort one another in this area. Let me tell you something. You and I don't need more people in our life who tell us how difficult it is to serve God. I don't need anyone in my life who tells me how hard it is not to be ashamed of the gospel. I don't need anyone in my life who will give me more excuses than I already have in being disobedient to God. You don't either. You need people as I do in my life, like Paul in the life of Timothy, who exhort him to this. You don't need to be ashamed of the gospel because God has given you everything that you need to speak boldly. He hasn't given you a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Tap into those resources. His grace is more than sufficient. I learned it firsthand. He learned it firsthand, firsthand experience. He's our, all I can tell you is this. My, God's grace is sufficient in our time of weakness. Therefore, I would rather boast in my weakness so that God's strength can be manifest or seen to others through me. The exhortation. And now what he does is, as we go through, he begins to share with, with Timothy and also with us four examples that we should follow. Four examples that we should follow as we continue moving forward in our walk with the Lord and so that we do not get sidetracked or distracted by the many things in life that are out there. The first example that he gives is that of a teacher... And it carries with it the idea of faithfulness. Notice in verse 2. He says, And the things which you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The idea here, the idea here is that of a teacher teaching a teacher who teaches a teacher who in turn teaches another teacher, and so on and so forth. It's a continuing process. The chain should never be broken because someone along the way gets distracted and neglects his responsibility. There are many times in my life where it is easy to get distracted as to what God has gifted me and called me to do. And not all of them are bad things in and of themselves, but they're things that keep me from staying focused on what I know I'm supposed to be doing. 
And therefore, there's a constant struggle that's there that can sidetrack us or take us away from what it is that God wants us to do. And we've got to be very careful. And every time I struggle with that and all of the struggles that, we've, that we all go through, I want to give you an illustration uh, that could help you understand the danger of what we're talking about as far as a distraction. If you've ever watched a 4x100 relay, you'll see the beauty of this continuing process. A teacher teaching a teacher who in turn teaches a teacher who in turn teaches a teacher who in turn teaches another and so on and so forth. As you're in a 4x100 relay, and if you've ever seen that, you'll see the first runner takes off and he runs the first 100 meters. It's, that's why it's 4 times 100 meters. Each, each person will run a 100 meter leg. You take the first one and as he runs, he sticks a baton into the hands of another who is already starting to move forward. As he sticks or yells stick, he grabs it and he begins to run and he begins to do that. Now, can you imagine that? I, the beauty of that is incredible to see four men who are so gifted, or women, to be able to, to transfer from one hand to the another the baton that they are to pass forward. Now, can you imagine the first two legs, man? They just, oh, it's beautiful. They're just running, handed stick, they go. The next one, handed stick, they go. Come to the third one, handed stick, and the guy, he sees people up in the stands that came to visit him. He goes running over to him. Hey, thank you. Thank you for being here. It's so nice of you to be here. I know you could have been somewhere else. Thanks a lot. What is that? Is that a, a Diet Pepsi? I love Diet Pepsi. I'm pushing Diet Pepsi, by the way. They're sponsoring this morning's message. And, uh, and it's like, oh, I like it. And he sits down and he begins to relax and he enjoys it. It's like, now I'm thinking maybe he got distracted from what he was supposed to be doing. And you think about how ridiculous that is. But yet, as, as believers, I know many believers who have gotten so distracted they forgot why they were saved to begin with, which was to serve the Savior with the gifts that he has given us to accomplish the purposes that he has for us to accomplish. And we're sitting up in the stands on the third leg of a race, visiting with relatives and friends and enjoying the day in the sunshine and a Diet Pepsi. That's like, what are we thinking? And see, that's what he was encouraging Timothy. Timothy... You're to run the third leg. Don't let your team down. Don't let the first two guys down. And don't let the guy who's standing in front of you, who's waiting for you for the fourth leg, don't let him down either. Don't let God down. Don't let God's people down by being selfishly distracted by the pleasures of this lifetime. A teacher and faithfulness to continue to pass the baton Notice what he says. He said, and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust. The word entrust carries the idea of taking that which is something of great value and deposit it for safekeeping. What is such great value? Sound words, he says, which you've heard from me in verse 12 of chapter 1. He says, for this reason I suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. He says, for I know whom I believe and I'm convinced he's able to guard which, that which I have entrusted him until this day. He says, retain the standard of sound words which you've heard in me and the faith and love which are in Christ and guard through the Holy Spirit who indwells you the treasure which you have been entrusted to you. It's like a map to bury treasure. The gospel is God's map, the map, the only map to the treasures of God. The gospel is the map to forgiveness. The gospel is the map to redemption. The gospel is the map to reconciliation with God. The gospel is the map to hope that we can have in Christ Jesus. The gospel is the map of salvation. Jesus said, I'm the only way to heaven. You have to come through me. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ are the directions to an eternal relationship with God the Creator. For in the Word of God, the standard of sound words which were given to Timothy and Paul and got given to Paul through the Holy Spirit of God, that same sound standard is <coughs> there's no other way to get to heaven. There's no other way to find forgiveness. It's through the Word of God that God's standard is set forth, the laws of God that we fall short and violate. It's because of the Word of God that we know if we lie, if we cheat, if we steal, if God's not always first in our life, if we covet the possessions of others or their goods, you know, if we murder or even have in our heart the thought of getting even with somebody or murdering somebody, we fall short of the perfect standard of God and it helps us to see that, you know what, we're guilty as charged before God. And if we're guilty as charged, there's a price that has to be paid. And either you pay it yourself, I pay it myself, or we believe what God says is that he has paid it for us if we would choose to believe that, if we would recognize our sinfulness, repent and turn from sin and turn to God and trust in his provision, which is Christ crucified upon the cross for the sins of the world, sufficient for, those who, sufficient for all, but applicable only to those who believe. And then the power of his resurrection. That same standard is given to us in the word of God. That's what has been entrusted to us to share with a world that is lost and condemned, a world that is confused by the, by, the, by the schemes and strategy of the enemy who says all roads lead to heaven. No, they don't. I was listening the other day on a talk show and, 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 and a, a prominent member of the Christian community was being interviewed by Larry King. And a woman called in and saying, are you saying that if you don't have a personal relationship in Jesus Christ, that that person will go to hell? And, that per, and the person, this prominent member of the Christian community, started him hawing around and said, well, I'm not judge and I'm not jury and I'm not, you know, and I said, you know what, all you had to do is say is this, I believe, according to the scriptures, that I am a sinner. I believe according to the scriptures that I'm condemned before God. I'm, I believe according to the scriptures that if I repent from sin and turn and trust in Christ and his death upon the cross and the power of his resurrection, that I'm born again as I receive him as my savior. And I believe by the same scriptures that teaches me that, if a person doesn't, then I believe what the scripture teaches about their final destiny as well. And that is true. That person will be separated from, me, from, from that God for all of eternity. Because if I believe one thing from the scriptures, I certainly should believe the other as well. I cannot believe it's by grace I'm saved through faith and that the gospel will save me. And at the same time, ignore what it says about those who reject the gospel and the, and the work of salvation of Jesus Christ upon the cross. That's all. And he got back and he said, well, wait a minute. He, and he didn't say that. He said, well, but, but you do believe that anyone who rejects that gift will go to hell, do you not? And how embarrassing is that, that Larry King had explained the gospel message to a prominent member of the Christian community. He said, but you do believe that if a person rejects Jesus Christ that they'll go to hell, right? Uh, yes, I do. Well, good. <laughs> that faithfulness is there. Like a map, the point is if you've been told, if you've received, if you've been, been entrusted, now the point is that we go and tell others. If you're afraid to do so, then he says, hey, be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. You have no excuse. I have no excuse to be afraid. It's not, an, you know, it's not that we don't, we, we don't, it's not that we lack the ability to share with others. It's just the fact that we lack the obedience. We're just flat out disobedient when we don't. And there's no excuses for that. 
And I tell you that, hopefully, and speak the truth in love and not in a sense of condemnation because I, too, am just as guilty when I do not obey the leading of the Spirit of God in my life to share the gospel with those he, he brings into my path. How are you doing on your leg of the race? Are you staying focused or have you become distracted? The wonderful news is this. If we confess our sin and, sin of, and disobedience is a sin of rebellion... If we confess our sin, he's faithful and continues to be faithful to forgive us and to continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My bad, I shouldn't have went into the stands. I'm back on the track and I'm running the race. I'll finish strong. I'll fight the good fight. I'll keep the faith. It's never too late to do right before God. Isn't that great? He's the God of second and third and fourth and fifth and hundredth chances. Take advantage of those opportunities as he presents them to you. The second example he gives is that of a soldier. And it carries with it the idea of commitment. A soldier is a very fitting example for the Christian faith. After all, the Bible often reminds us that we're in a spiritual battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, read it sometime when you have a chance. He says to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Again, we're to operate in the strength of God, not in our own abilities, not by our own strength, because we have none compared to God. The strength of God, the same strength and power that holds the universe together. Here's what I'm thinking. The same strength and power that holds the universe together probably is enough strength for us to open our mouth and confess that Jesus is Lord before our neighbors, friends, and community. Don't you think? I think it's probably sufficient. The idea of a soldier and commitment, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, wick, against the world forces of this darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm or resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Not only are we told uh, that, that to be like a soldier, but more importantly, we're told to be a good soldier. Not just content to be in uniform, but to be a good soldier for Christ. And there's three things that are true of a good soldier. Number one, he says a good soldier will endure hardship. Verse three, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You know what the Apostle Paul said? He goes, listen, I'm not asking you to suffer hardship while I sit on the Mediterranean on the beach, you know, having a Diet Pepsi. Um, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm saying, hey, suffer with me. You know, just take a good hard look. I'm not asking you to do to anything that I haven't been willing to do myself. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, man. This guy was beat up for his Lord. And yet he never stopped. He kept fighting the good fight. He remained steadfast and immovable. He kept his eyes on the prize, like he said, you know. He fixed his eyes on Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews said. He never took his eyes off the finish line. He endured hardship. He says, suffer with me. You know, oftentimes we don't realize, you know, the account, what, what it's the cost of suffering for Christ's sake. The question I have is this, what price are you willing to pay? What suffering are you willing to endure so that another person may come to faith in Jesus Christ? Because as we suffer, our response to that suffering is a huge testimony of Christ who lives within us and the grace or the strength of God that resides in us. As we suffer for Christ's sake, how we respond in the strength of the Lord attracts people to know our Savior. Which is beautiful when you think about it. You know, two weeks ago I mentioned a friend of ours, Linda and I, who is, she's dying of cancer. Um, and, and it's imminent. Her death is imminent. And as I went there from here that particular day and I sat by her bedside, her whole family was there. And they were there laying on the 
her, whatever, they were there. And it was a beautiful time to be able to share the gospel and the truth of the fact that absent from her body, she will be with her Lord because not long ago she had come to faith in Christ as her Savior. And to be able to share the truth of the Word of God and be able to, to throw out an invitation to those who were there. And as everyone left the room, I had a chance just to spend some time with her alone. And you know what she said her greatest concern was as she lay on her deathbed? That her children would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Her children and her family and her friends and all who have watched her endure this great suffering. That if one person came to faith in Christ through the cancer that she had, then all of that suffering would be worthwhile. What would you be willing to suffer so that one would come to faith in Christ. She was willing to give up her own life so that her children could know Jesus as their Savior. Endure suffering with me. Endure that suffering with me. As a soldier who's committed, you know, it's difficult for most of us in the Western world to even understand what it means to suffer for the gospel's sake. Many of us are shy and timid and many of us are disobedient because we're afraid that we're going to, what, lose a job, lose a friend, not get invited to a party, maybe have to go around in a different social circle. I mean, we're, we're, I mean think, he's saying, don't be timid, don't be shy, and he's writing it from the Mamertine prison in Rome and he's waiting for his execution. We need to all get on our knees and ask God to forgive us for our disobedience and not sharing and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are lost. All of us. And thank God then that he'll pick us back up and he'll send us on our way better prepared to be obedient servants of his. There's a day coming in this country, and I guarantee it, where there will be a great cost to pay to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not there yet, but you know what? We're only just one administration away from that kind of persecution. We're only one election away from the wrong person getting in office and beginning to then come down hard on those who preach the gospel, who don't teach a social gospel, who don't teach that all roads to heaven and all of us, you know, can't we all just get along and we are the world, let's all hold hands because we're all in this together and it's nonsense according to scripture and it's a lie from the pit of hell. That's all. We're just one election away from that. I pray that day doesn't come, but more importantly, I pray when that day does come, that God's people will speak boldly and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ for his sake and for his kingdom. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ. Not only does a soldier endure hardships, but also a soldier avoids worldly entanglements. Verse 4, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. They don't get caught up in all the things of the everyday life in this world that we live in. Jesus called it the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches or those who profess to know Christ and only to have the seed taken from their heart when the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches enter in. This world offers us a lot. And you know the greatest example of one who never lost focus is the Lord Jesus Christ. When the devil tempted him in Matthew chapter 4 and offered him all the kingdoms of the world, he stayed focused on the cross because he came with a purpose to seek and to save that which was lost. He never lost sight of that. No matter what was offered to him, he knew his purpose, and that was to seek and to save that which was lost. In simple terms, he's saying don't get distracted by the temporary world and the things of it. You know, as I, I've mentioned, it's easy to lose focus, get distracted, and to forget the purpose behind our actions. I'll give you a good example in Baseball Chapel, which I'm involved in. Uh, throughout the country, we've got guys, 30 guys on the major league level, 150 guys in the minor leagues. The whole purpose is to go into major league baseball and to present the claims of Christ. 
And so we go to spring training. I go to Tempe. That's where the angels are. Guys on the East Coast, they get to go to Florida in, in February, March, and April. Whatever time they want to choose, they can, they can set their trip up. They can go to Florida. Now listen, for being from Pennsylvania and going to Florida in the wintertime is like going from hell to heaven. You get a glimpse of what's there. There's oranges on trees. There's stuff that we take for granted every day. But when we lived in Pennsylvania and visited our in-laws in Florida, we got off the plane and went, what is this? Do other people know that these kind of places exist in the wintertime? Do these people know that? I mean, every time I run, I'm running and I'm enjoying a run, you know, up through the hills in Orange and Anaheim Hills, and I look out and it's wintertime, there's snow way up there on the mountains. And I'm in shorts and a t-shirt, and I can look this way and see Catalina and the ocean. I'm just like, this is good stuff. This is good. This is good. But anyway, the point is back to Florida. So you got guys who are going from Michigan and, and Pennsylvania and New York, and they go to Florida, and they forget why they go. They're laying out by the pool at the Howard Johnson's, having a Diet Pepsi. And then they're looking at the golf course, and they're going to go golfing, and they're like, wow, look, there's like sunshine and swimming and golfing and it's wintertime and I left snow and then they call their family and they tell them, pray for us, this ministry is so difficult. <laughs> and, and it's easy to get distracted. In 20 years in professional sports ministry, I know what it means to be distracted. I've walked in locker rooms and I've walked in places and I, I've been like, oh, that's Jack Youngblood. That's Eric Dickerson. There's Jackie Slater. And I'm walking around like, oh, And I'm thinking, can I have your autograph? Whoa, 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 wait, wait, what am I here for? What am I doing? And after all those years of working football, then I started to do baseball six years ago. And I walked in, I'm doing a chapel for the New York Yankees, and I'm sitting in this little locker room, like from here to here. I'm sitting there, and, and I'm sitting here, and, and Roger Clemens. You're stinking Roger Clemens. <laughs> and, and it's like, and then God goes, Chuck. Hey. Chuck. Chuck. Why are you here? And then I remember, because we have these cool things we hand out when we do chapel. And, and, and God goes, read the front of your handout. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. That's right. I'm here to proclaim the gospel. I'm here to teach sound doctrine. I'm here to defend the faith. I'm here to expose people to the truth of the Word of God. I'm not a fan anymore. I'm not here for autographs. I'm not here for tickets. I'm not here to exploit these guys financially. I'm not here for any of those things. I'm here because God has called me, chosen me, equipped me, and sent me, and opened the door that I can proclaim Christ and Him crucified. And I make a joke about how easy it is to be distracted, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I have never lost focus of why I'm there. Because God continues to remind me that even though Roger Clemens may be in the Hall of Fame in baseball, the only way that he'll get into God's Hall of Faith is by recognizing his sinfulness and repenting of sin and trusting in Christ, his death upon the cross and the power of his resurrection for his salvation. And I praise God from what I know of Roger Clemens. He has done so. And so I praise God for all of those opportunities. But, you know, I, you don't get sidetracked because a soldier doesn't get sidetracked. 
A soldier endures hardship. A soldier avoids worldly entanglements. We all can get sidetracked. I know kids that go away to college, they forget why they're going. I know moms and dads who send them to college. And, you know, and they thought they were sending them to get their education, you know. And they'd say, well, they, but we send them away so that they become more independent. How independent can they be if they're dependent on a check from you every month? It's like, think about what you just said. Like when our daughter, youngest daughter, went away to college, we sat down and came up with a little contract so that she wouldn't get distracted. And it's not because I think that she would any more than I would. It's because I know the danger in the world that we live in of getting distracted from going to accomplish that which we go to accomplish. And we sat down and we tied things into performance and education and, and, and GPA and, and, and other things that tie all together and morality and character issues that all tie together. And all of our scholarship from us is dependent upon that every semester. Amen? Praise God. And so we review that, and it's important, and we need to do that. Every year they review my performance as to whether or not I proclaim Christ and am crucified. They get feedback from players that come into our city. What did that guy teach? What did he do? What was his chapel messages? What were they like? And they get feedback from all over the country of guys that come in and say, man, that brother preaches the word of God. You know, that is the greatest accusation that any of us could ever have leveled against us. Man, when we, we, we can't wait to come into Anaheim because that guy lays out the truth. Isn't that great? You know what it means to have guys come to town, look forward to being here? And think about it. Chapel is one small part of this huge picture that they're involved in. But say, we can't wait to come to Anaheim to have that guy teach the Word of God to us. In fact, we can't wait. In fact, many teams will call and say, hey, listen, can you come to our hotel and just do a Bible study apart from chapel because chapel is too short a time. And some of you right now are looking at your watch and saying, we don't think so. <laughs> no. Stop encouraging that. No wonder he's so confused. You know, and you praise God for that. You know, I, in fact, guys that used to play in the Angels in San Diego called me and said, can you come down just once this summer and do a Bible study? And we'll invite our teammates because we know when you show up, you'll deliver the goods. We'll make every effort to invite people to come. And I had the privilege of doing that. That's a great privilege. It's a great honor to be entrusted with the treasure. The roadmap to heaven? Are you kidding me? Who cares about a stinking little bag of gold somewhere out in, the, in, in some rock somewhere? That's temporary. You and I know the directions to heaven to a world that doesn't. What are we holding on to it for? We're going to go. There's no quota, there's no limit. A little bag of stinking gold, okay, there's only so many kernels or nuggets in it. And we think, well, we'll keep it to ourselves because we want all of it. Listen, heaven's wide open. We don't have to not tell people because it's going to mean we might not get in. We're not talking angel tickets here for the playoffs. And by the way, let me just tell you, I can't get any of you any. <laughs> just deal with that right here now. But not to get distracted. And thirdly, a good soldier, notice what it says, no soldier in active duty entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that the purpose he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Whatever you do, whatever work that you do, work heartily as unto the Lord, for it's the Lord God whom you serve. We're not here to please people. Part of the fallen nature of man is the strong desire to please men. 
You know, part of the fallen nature of man is a strong desire to please men, to be worried about what men have to say about us, to be worried about what social group we fit in, to be worried about, you know, who we're going to hang with and what parties we're invited to, to be worried about, you know, this, that, or the other thing. That's all part of the fallen nature of man. But the man who has been born again from above, who has been born again from God, the only thing that our nature cares about is living to please him. Living to please him and hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. See, the worry of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the affairs of everyday life can keep an unbeliever from receiving Christ as Savior. The rich young ruler is a great example. Everything the world had to offer, but yet he knew that he was missing something in his life. And he was missing a relationship with the God who created him. He had everything the world had to offer. And he came to Jesus and said, what more must I do to find the road map to heaven? And Jesus said, just go and sell everything. Forsake the world and all the things of this world and come and follow me. And he said he turned and he put his head down in shame because he, he counted the cost as too great to give up everything he had for what Christ had to offer. He would not give up the temporary for the eternal. What a foolish man. Jesus warned as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another, Follow me. But he said, Permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. He used an illustration that we'll talk about next time as it relates to a farmer and how it illustrates the spiritual truth. But at this point, I want to stop and I want to challenge you and consider what we've learned so far, and that is this. The exhortation that we all need to be bold in our faith and proclamation of Christ is to be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. His grace is more than sufficient in our times of weakness, our times of shame, our times of holding back when it comes to this is a good time. Tell them the way to heaven. You've got the road map. Lay it out and share it with them. And for those who are confused, the road map is very simple. We're to point out a person's sinfulness according to the standards of God. Ask a person, you know, are you perfect? I'm not perfect, but I'm good. Good's not good enough. Because our goodness is as filthy rags to God, God requires that we're perfect to enter his presence. Well, I'm not perfect, then how am I going to get there? Well, the Bible says that we recognize our sinfulness. And we turn from sin, which is repent. Turn from sin, turn from our idea that being good is good enough. Turn from the ideas that this world, that all roads lead to heaven. Turn from all the ideas that we have that are wrong before God and accept the one idea that is right. That there's no other name given to man under heaven by which men can be saved. That Jesus Christ, God so loved this world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. That you need to believe upon Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and the power of his resurrection that he rose again three days later from the dead, an affirmation that he is indeed the Savior of the world who he claimed to be, that he is God's anointed one. He is God's way to heaven, for no man gets unto the Father but through him. 
All roads don't lead to heaven. No other belief systems are right. They're all wrong according to the authority given to me by the word of God. Any system that says you can work your way to some kind of paradise, karma, nirvana, or whatever it is, is wrong, and it's a lie from the pit of hell. There's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And you can share that. And the boldness and the power that is given us, the power, the discipline, and love that is given to us at the time where you and I are born again, we can tap into that. We can have access to it. If you're here today and you don't know the road to heaven and you thought coming in that it was, you know what, just making a good effort and good shot at and God, you know, grades on a curve, I'm here to tell you and speak the truth and love that you're wrong. Trust the word of God and what he has to say. Today, recognize your sinfulness. Fall down at the, at the feet of Jesus at the very cross and accept his death on your behalf and the power of his resurrection. And the Bible says today, at this moment in time, that you can be born again from God, from the will of God from above, a child of God for those who believe in his name. Confess your sin before God, and he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from it. Make him your Lord and Savior today. For those of us who know Christ, it's time that we become more bold as we exhort one another, be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. For in our weakness, his strength is perfected. Follow the example of a teacher who is faithful to continue to pass on the baton of education to his students and the truth of the word of God. Be a soldier who endures hardship for Christ's sake, even if it means dying of cancer so that your child could come to faith in Christ I would do that in a second. In a second. Avoid the entanglements of this lifetime. Man, we're just passing through. Don't get too attached to temporary things or the things of this earth. Stay focused on that which is eternal. And at the end of the day, exalt Jesus Christ because it's Him whom we serve. It's the Lord God whom we want to exalt. Not for our own glory, not for our own sake. And anything that I share with you is for the sake of exalting Jesus Christ and Him crucified and the power of the Word of God in any environment God ever takes me. It's Jesus Christ that deserves all the glory and all the credit because we've been bought with the price, the precious blood of Christ. And to Him, we deserve all, He deserves all homage, all praise, and all glory. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank You for the power of the Gospel the truth of the Word of God. And I pray for those who are here today that may not know for sure that they can resolve that once and for all of eternity by praying a simple prayer. And it's from the heart. The words aren't as important as much as is the heart or the message behind it. God, forgive me, for I recognize I'm a sinner. Maybe I thought for years that I could just come to church and be good or do good things and, and thinking somehow that that goodness is going to earn some points and realizing that all of it falls short of your standard of perfection. I trust once and for all that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I trust that he rose again from the dead as the, as the word of God professes and proclaims and as the evidence in the world even indicates. And I receive him today, here and now, as my Lord and Savior. God, I thank you for that. Father, I just pray for those who have made such a decision that they will be bold and share with those who invited them even today or any one of us this proclamation of faith, faith so that we can help them grow and this new understanding, and this new relationship with you. And God, I pray for each one of us who, have, who has come to faith in you at a point in time in our life, been born again from above, that we recognize that you've not given us a spirit of timidity, but one of power and love and discipline, that we're to be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus and not in our own strength or ability. And we look forward to what you'll do through our obedience as we open our mouth to proclaim Christ and him crucified 
to proclaim the excellencies of him, you, who have called us from darkness to light, and all God's people said, Amen.